Welcome back or welcome to Grateful and Full of Greatness. I'm your host, Mark Glassini. On this podcast, I sit down with guests who, in my opinion, live their lives with the pursuit of greatness in mind. This platform allows me to, to discuss and to explain strategies that go into reaching peak performance. This is episode number 10. My guest is head men's lacrosse coach at Yale University, Andy Shea. He has been a collegiate lacrosse coach for over two decades, and exactly two years ago, in 2018, he was awarded the Division I Coach of the Year after leading the Elis to their first national championship win. Within the world of lacrosse, he is recognized as one of the best coach, head coaches in the sport today. From 2013 to 2016, I played under Coach Shea and won three Ivy League championships together within four years. He understands and teaches the process of growth, cultural development, and team success as well as anyone on the planet. Through his empathetic servant leadership, he shows boys how to become men and a group of individuals how to strive together like a family. I remain endlessly grateful for Coach Shea's influence in my life, and I'm extremely excited to have him join me on here today. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Happy to do it, Mark. Thank you. So one of my favorite quotes is people buy into the leader before they buy into the vision. Uh, this is never more true than with you and Yale's men's lacrosse. How would you describe your approach as a coach and as a leader to young men? Uh, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty broad for me, buddy. Um, you know, I think that, you know, over the years I've, I've kind of changed in how I do things and, and um, you know, how I've approached this whole thing. I think that, uh, you know, for the way we do things at Yale, we kind of have a singular goal in, in, in what we want to do, uh, and what we expect, um, you know, our guys to, to, to aspire to. Um, and it's, it's always present in the, in the process of recruitment. And, um, you know, so I think that when, when you do that, you get, you get guys that go into the process and go into the, go into the program with both eyes open. Uh, and they are aligned with your values in terms of, you know, what they want to do. And, um, you know, I mean, you can, I can remember back to your recruitment, you know, when, when we talked about what we wanted to do long-term and, and, you know, my goal with you was to challenge you because I knew that that's what you, you would want. Um, so, you know, I think that, when you committed, we had one Ivy League title. I think uh, that was the only one. Now that I think about it, um, and it, and since then we've obviously won a, won a number of them, and and large part to your play and leadership. So, um, you know, I think for for me, it's just getting guys here that really want to be uh, want to set the bar a little bit higher, I guess, um, and then just doing it every day. Um, I really don't think of it in terms of leadership, to be honest with you. Um, and I, and I, I, I don't know why. Um, but when I hear those phrases and, and when I hear people talk about it, I feel kind of uncomfortable um, <laughs> because I don't really um, I don't know if I view myself as that. And, and maybe it's because of the guys that I coach um, that are so high achieving and so impressive. Um, but, yeah, I think guys, you know, that, that come to Yale make it easy for me, maybe. I love that. And I, one thing that you, you brought up really early on in that response is the fact that uh, perhaps your leadership starts from the recruiting process, even before they walk through the door. What are some factors that you're looking for in a recruit? Uh, I, I still remember uh, being recruited and sitting across to you for the first time. And uh, my heart rate was elevated because you, you were jacking me up and getting ready me me ready to play and we were in a library so not the right. uh, not the right place to get excited but what's some of the factors that you're looking for in the recruit um if if that's where it all starts well it is it's a, it's a um you know we talk about it all the time and it's well it's well documented to this point that we um we look for toughness and we look for grit and all that and um you know we we call it anecdotal whereas you know, every, you talk to any coach about a kid, they're going to say, yeah, he's really tough. And, um, but we want to hear a story. Um, you know, for, for instance, you, you know, you were one of the leading scorers in the state of New Jersey in a 
two-year-old high school program. And that didn't make much sense to anybody. Um, once you peel back the layers, you see like, you know, the things that you did to, to get to that level. Um, you know, so I think that, you know, in as much as that, that's, that's why we put ourselves in the position to recruit those guys is, is we want to hear stories, um, about their toughness, about their commitment, about their grit. And, and lately that's getting harder and harder for coaches to, to produce, um, you know, especially, in the, in the club lacrosse age, you know, these coaches don't necessarily see these kids in other sports or in, you know, history class or whatever else. So, um, those are the moments that we, we try and get to the high school coach and just say, Hey, you know, tell me more about this kid and where he overcame adversity. And and it doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, it can, it can be, you know, a mental thing. So, um, that really is a big, that's the first marker is, you know, how tough are they? How mentally tough are they? Um, you know, and, and we want to make sure that we don't settle on that at all. And so at, once that is kind of settled, we, you know, bring a guy to campus and show him campus. And, you know, we don't, as you might remember, we don't really talk about the degree at all, you know, and that's probably, I don't know. I don't know if it's irresponsible or maybe arrogant, um, however you want to look at it, but uh, we have an ability to do that. So it's like, okay, you know, it's, it's never mentioned and it's, it's, um, it's almost a, a given. Uh, and, and then the way we recruit from there is we challenge them and say, and you, you know, we talk about, I still remember the meeting in the library. We sat down and I said, you know, we want to win four Ivy league titles and we wanted to make sure that, that you knew it was going to be a huge challenge for us but we needed somebody that wanted to wanted to hit that challenge head on. And, and with you, Mark, it was easy. Cause I kind of knew, um, I knew how to kind of rev you up. I knew that if, that if, if I challenge you, that you'd be like, you know, tell, tell Mark Lucini, you can't do something. It'll probably get done in the next you know month or so. So <laughs> that was, that was a thinly veiled, you know, uh, effort on my part. Fair enough. And I appreciate that. And I, one of the things about stories is no great story without a great problem. And one of the probably most pertinent question you can ask an individual when you want to learn something in any given craft is what do you know now that you wish you knew then? Do you mind taking us through uh, your evolution through, through your coaching years and, and kind of what is something or, or, or multiple things that, that you didn't know uh, that you know now that you didn't know when you were first getting started or, or along your story uh, uh, throughout coaching yeah you know I, I, um it's amazing it's it's when i first got into coaching my father told me to his advice to me was to keep it simple stupid that the the old acronym and and when you're really young in coaching when you're 20 something years old um you want to solve it with your brain and you want to create a mousetrap that no one has has created before uh, and you want to put all your youth and energy into it. Um, and you have all this hubris and, and, you know, as you get older, you realize that it's just, it's the simple stuff that matters more. It's the, it's the fundamentals. And I know you've heard me say that word a billion times at this point. Um, and it's, it's just, it's amazing how, you know, it, it doesn't take much, um, you know, the, to, you can't reinvent this thing at this point. And, um, you know, just making it about the fundamentals and about getting better every day. I can remember when I first first started coaching at the University of Delaware, I put so much time into co- into scouting, uh, trying to trying to figure out the opponent. And without any understanding that once you get out in the field, you're not going to remember what the coach wrote on page seven of the scouting report. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, and it just seems like so much I look back on it and, it, and it's as a coach uh, who spends all his week working really hard to try and figure out what they're doing. Um, it's really hard to withhold that from your team and say, I just want you to get better from Monday to let's say Thursday. And then we'll start putting stuff in on Thursday, you know, and Friday. Yeah. 
or maybe Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, it's really hard to not say, you know what, we're just going to prepare for everything for that whole week. Um, you know, when I got to be a head coach, it was totally my call on how to do it. So it was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to recruit as best we can. When, when, you know, when I first got the job at Yale, I couldn't get the, the, the very best guys. Um, you know, so if, if, if I could go back in time to talk to myself and say, listen, man, you might want to get these guys better rather than teach them that, you know, the opponent's man up play one last time. So, um, I think that once I figured out to worry about getting the team better, um, that things just started to change dramatically. You know, it's just a, you know, it's, it's the compound effect as we, you know, I've told you that, that, that book has had a huge effect on me is that, you know, if you get a little bit better over the course of 75 practices, then it really won't matter going over the other man up play. Um, and it's just such a leap that so many people can't make. So many coaches cannot make. And it took me, shoot, it took me, you know, till I was maybe 30, 39, 40 years old to figure it out. I'll be 50 this summer. So it's pretty, you know, once it got through the, 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 the dense skull that I have, um, <laughs> I'm not letting go of it now. Right. Uh, well, what comes to mind when you say that is uh, all throughout the week is, is thinking time. And then when, when the, the game starts, it becomes trusting time. And if you're trying to think and act at the same time, uh, there's no such thing, or at least not at a high level. Um, no. Comp- compound too, fast. too Way too fast. Right. And, and that, I, but I would say the the amount of preparation you did for all those years, maybe the nitty gritty X's and O's looking into scouting, it probably allows you to make snap judgment nowadays at a quicker no level. Yeah, no doubt. You know, and, and, and I'm getting to the point where I've, I'm seeing uh, things and, you know, I can reference, you know, well, that, that looks like they're doing this from this team this many years ago. So right. I'm dating myself every single time. Um, right. But it, but yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's definitely, um, you know, you realize that you forget as you get into your twenties and thirties, you forget that as a player, you can't, you don't have time to react, you know, and this is for lacrosse. I don't, I, this might be very different for another sport for football or whatever. I, you know, I don't know, but for the sport of lacrosse, which is, you know, in terms of preparation, a lot like basketball and a little bit like football, I would say, um, yeah, I think you got to find that sweet spot of getting guys better and putting in positions where they can react and make a good play. I was talking to Dr. Molinaro about this, and he talks about lacrosse as an open sport as, a, as opposed to a closed sport, where gymnastics and golf, for example, are the closed sport in which the the player themselves initiates the play, whether it's the start of a routine or a swing uh, at the golf club at the golf ball, and then for lacrosse and the other open sports, there's a whistle that starts it. There's other plays moving around, and you have to be more active. So in right. those in those type of game, and that those are the ones I've always played football, basketball, and lacrosse. You see uh, all this hierarchical thinking coming into play through just your reaction time. Now, every every bulldog who has played for you knows your obsession with the word process. Uh, you rarely even talk about winning in the same way you rarely talk about the diploma when they step on campus, just because it's that it's the destination we all want to get to. But uh, there's no means in talking about it. Like the probability, of the outcome we want increases when we let go of the need to have it. So, what is what does the the process mean to you? And and wh- what do you mean every single time you say stick to the process? Yeah, I mean. It- it's, it's, it can take so many forms, right? Just like, just like the, you know, when we say the word one, that's means so many things, but, um, the process is, uh, for the team itself, um, you know, in the off season, you know, when we, when you're doing individual drills, you're, you're getting yourself better every single day. Um, you know, in the first part of our practice, you're doing individual drills to get yourself a little bit better that day. Um, when we implement certain team drills, those are process uh, driven drills, which are, you know, we're just trying to add layers of expertise um, in as many small increments as we possibly can every single moment, every single day leading up to, uh, you know, the game. And then once the game, the components of the game uh, are the process. So, 
you know, in, in a game, a process is the opening face off. It's the first ground ball. It's, it's the, um, multiple acts of doing things right. Um, throwing the ball hard, um, being vocal on offense, being vocal on defense, being in the right spot on a clear. I mean, you probably can remember, you know, it's just like the one thing we have to worry about right now, guys, is just be in the right spot. On the clear. <laughs> and then how many times are we not? It's like we look at the film on Monday and it's like that somehow is so hard. You know, guys just drifting and, you know, like, like uh, as we've said many times, like an escape mental patient running around out there. But, you know, I think that that's, that being in the correct spot, especially like on the clear, it's, it's, it's amazing how hard it is. Um, but that is the process. Right. And, you know, if, if you're a defenseman and you're running up the field and you got the ball and, and you know that there's going to be a guy right in that spot and you could, you hear something and you can throw it there with trust. Um, that's the process taken over for you. So, you know, I, I think the, the clear is something because it's team encompassing. I think that's something that we talk about a lot because, um, you know, it, 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 it has everybody, it's a, it's a 10 man operation. Um, so, you know, one guy's in the wrong spot, it screws up everybody. Um, but just that subtle, you know, having your heels to the sideline uh, at that spot in the right spot. Uh, and of course, it's never perfect, but that's what you're, you know, that's what you're chasing is doing that right. Um, yep. So it clearly becomes a metaphor in my, in my eyes. And I've said it maybe too many times at this point, it becomes a metaphor for everything else, being in the right spot on offense, having proper footwork, um, you know, doing the right thing, touching inside on defense, like all, all the things that we talk about. Right. And I think the it's, it's with things that are coming to mind in us talking about, how they're so simple to do and why can't it happen every single time? I think uh, when it comes to the mental game, you can't expect to be 75 degrees and sunny between the ears when your heart rate's through the roof and the pressure's on and you're gripping your right. stick a little bit tighter. And it might not make sense when uh, it's a nice, beautiful day out in New Haven and you're getting yelled at to get your, your feet to the end line or, or to the sideline or wherever it is. But the reason you do it so many times in a row is to get to that place where not that you get it right, so you can't get it wrong, so that you just right. happen to be there uh, when right. the lights are on. Right? You know, and that, and that's you say that that it's it's you know as we get older as coaches, it's been a long time since we had to do it with our elevated heart rate. So so for us, we can't really empathize anymore. Right. Like you're at, you know you're 150 beats per minute and. I can't believe that you can't get there. But if I had to go back and coach myself, I'd probably, A, I'd probably cut myself. But B, I probably wouldn't be able to handle it because I wouldn't, it's not, it, it's easy for me to say, not as easy for me to do. Right. But I, there is something about your authenticity as coaching. You know, I always believed there was a slight possibility that you might go get on that line and show me how to do it. And that, that was enough for me to go do it. <laughs> no, do no. it just do a it shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Just a shadow of a doubt. But uh, one of the things I've always loved about, about you uh, is how you coached me. You touched about it earlier. And maybe it was even before you started coaching me, when you recruited me, I knew that you were going to challenge me. Uh, this is something um, that in the coaching realm, especially at the high level, uh, that's a touchy subject. But how do you flirt the line between pushing a player too hard and, and challenging them and knowing when to back off? Uh, I don't know. You know, I think that that um, for me, it's always been a fluid process. I try and I try and connect with every guy as much as possible. Um, and, you know, I, I think that we expect um our guys to be in the office a great deal and and you know we call it the barbershop hanging out and and <laughs> and talking and you know i think that there's a, a great deal of trust that's that develops in those moments um and it's something that we work to cultivate as much as possible we have guys that don't you know you you, you know it's not easy to come in the office all the time and um we want to make sure that 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 guys feel like they always can and um, you know, we'll notice certain years where, um, you know, I think your, your junior year, we felt like guys weren't coming in that much and we made sure that we, um, pulled guys in or, or whatever. So, you know, I think that those moments where we can kind of cultivate that. And like I said, we, you know, this is a constant failure. You know, we've got 45 guys that we have to somehow connect with any way we can. 
Um, and you know, you got a lot of mouths to feed. You got a lot of, you got a lot of babies you got to love. It's not, it's, it's truly, it's probably not, um, it's not possible. So, you know, but in, in our effort, knowing that we might fail with, with every guy, um, you know, at least we can hopefully connect with as many guys as possible. Uh, and maybe we're not failing as much as, as, as I think, but, you know, so relative to that, if, if we can have a human aspect and, and, and have a relationship with a young man, um, that's authentic and real, and then, you know, we can push him to the point where, um, you know, that trust, he's going to rely on that trust in us and, and, and the back end. So, um, it's something we've always tried to do. You know, I think that we could, you know, you can rip a guy as much as you want. Um, you know, if he knows that deep down, you really care about him and, yeah. you know, I'm not saying we're perfect at it or whatever, but that's something that we tried to do. Um, and I, and I've said it, you know, forever that I learned the importance of this when I've always, I've always think I was, I'd like to think I was pretty good at it, but I think I learned the importance of it when the admissions process at Yale was different because when I got hired, we weren't getting, you know, 10 or 11 guys a year, we were getting seven a year. Mm. Um, and, you know, very quickly I realized if, if, if two of these guys quit, we're not going to be able to field the team. So, you know, I got to engage every guy, no matter the talent level. And that's sure. the biggest, that's the hardest part. Some coaches really, um, they want to coach the best guys more. The best guys don't need to be coached. You know what I mean? It's the guys who, who may be struggling with, with some certain things. Mm. They need more. And yeah. once again, this is a, this is something that we, that I have personally failed at, you know, a lot, but in the course of the season, you know, I'm going to interact with the starters way more than I am the guys who aren't going to play. Sure. And, and that's where it gets really difficult to manage because you go a couple of days and you're like, I haven't talked to this guy at all. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And he doesn't play. I mean, it, it's, you know, you played, you, you started four years and that's not, that's, you know, not easy to do, but it's almost harder to never play over four years and still say, you know what, this is what I'm about. You know what I mean? And we've had plenty of guys like that, that we try and just say, you know, we, we hope, you've been there. We, we try and hold them higher than, than the guys that have played four years. Well, they certainly are. And, my, and they certainly are. I, I think uh, just the tenacity you can learn from those guys, the respect, one, the, the word that you kept coming up in your response there was the word trust. And how do you develop a, that trust? But, and I think the answer is communication. It's listening. I'm reading the book. The students are watching and it's not necessarily when you're in the classroom setting or in the film room that most of the coaching is happening. It's that barbershop mentality, right? That right. like those little spaces on the side that they're going to being heard. They're being a part of it. Everybody has a role. Everybody has their thing that they do on the team. And once you start that communication, no matter where it is, not just in the classroom and in the, in the film room, but you have that communication, that's going to lead to the trust. And then that leads to undying commitment. Uh, I debate with my mentors all the time in applied psychology, the most important element to excellence, uh, awareness, belief, curiosity, desire, empathy, faith, grit, all these different things that come up uh, as the most important. Uh, but something that uh, goes hand in hand with what you were talking about as a listening coach and, and being able to communicate in the barbershop is I feel like you have insatiable curiosity. You have just an eagerness to learn about your players an eagerness to grow as a coach. Uh, and no matter uh, what pedestal you're put on as a coach, even as you talked about earlier, you don't see yourself that way. You see yourself more of a student, um, both to the player that you're coaching and to the game itself. Where would you say that came from? Your curiosity, your willingness to learn, your eagerness to learn. Uh, was there influences in your life early on or is that something you picked up later on? I've always been, I, you know, yeah, I've always been very curious. I don't know, um, you know, I don't know how or why my parents told me I was a very inquisitive, uh, young man before I knew what that word meant. Um, you know, I, I, I can read an encyclopedia and find it interesting. You know what I mean? Just open to something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. just, and, and, and growing up, I used to do that. Like when, you know, guys, my age had, everyone had like a huge, you know, 26 
huge encyclopedias and you can just flip it open to start reading about, you know, a country in South America or whatever. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the guy in the family that's in our family, maybe, maybe it's cause we have small children that's, that can do well in jeopardy and you know, that, that type of stuff. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I definitely with respect to coaching, I, I think I just, you know, I just want to get better. You know what I mean? I want to constantly try and get better. And um, I want to, you know, I want to win um, as many games as I possibly can. And whatever that looks like, um, you know, when my career is over, I want to be proud of it. So I think that where, you know, where I am now, I think I've, I have not scratched that itch enough and I don't know if I ever will. Um, so there's definitely a, um, it's definitely an issue. So I, 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 one of the things that I've done interestingly enough in this pandemic is I I've taken, um, you know, I always have my notebooks every year. Absolutely. I have, I have, I have, I had 17 of them and sometimes they leak into another year. So it's like two years and one or whatever. I had 17 of them in my office. And it's one of the last things I took out of my office before they shut the building. I scanned all 17 notebooks and I'm indexing the whole thing. So, Oh my gosh. I'm looking at like, you know, from the before 2000, like that type of stuff. And I'm like, I'm the amazing thing is that, that I just keep coming back to the same stuff, but, um, it's been a, it's been a, an incredibly informative, uh, process. Um, you know, looking at the things that I wrote down, the dumb ideas I had, the good ideas that I forgot about (laughs) the the recurring ideas. Um, so it's been pretty, uh, it's been pretty interesting. I got a huge PDF document that's, that I'm currently indexing, trying to figure out how to order it and how to quickly go to stuff. Yeah. And I love that. And then you're able to sift through just by you having all that information, what's still relevant. What, what was I even thinking in this year and this, this part of the different notebook and, uh, I, I actually spoke to, I actually spoke to Jack Emmer, uh, the other day, who's, you know, he's a hall of famer army coach for, however many years at one point he was the winningest coach in, in NCAA history. And he said that he has in his basement, he has all these notebooks um, that he has yet to look at. Oh my gosh. And he said that some of them have water damage. So he's, he's worried to go down there and take a look at it. He said, someday I might do it. I said, coach, I bet you could find someone to do that. I said, I'd, I'd do it for free to, to crawl inside his brain. You oh, know, so true. Over the course of the last hour, many years. So it's like a personal diary. Honestly. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, <laughs> so, uh, in, in developing all these different things throughout the years, what comes to mind is those 17 years you've, you've been at Yale and you care so much about Yale lacrosse and your team and your players. How do you invest time outside of it all? Uh, like, uh, how much time would you say are, are you spending or investing not thinking about yellow cross or, or, or your profession? Uh, I think about it all the time. You know, I think <laughs> about it. Um, you know, my son and I were going to driving, driving to, you know, play Frisbee golf the other day. And, and I was explaining to him how I had, I had, I did a uh, coaching through cancellation thing about old, you remember the old 54 drill where you guys, where you got the fuzzy line and guys got to ride. Yes. Yes. Like, yes. So I, I told him that I had figured out a way to make that one a little bit better. Um, <laughs> and he Did was just like, feedback? he doesn't care. He just doesn't care. He's just like, he's like, great. That's awesome. Can we go play Frisbee golf now? So, um, but I'm just driving with my son, spending time with my son and I'm just like, and it just, it just kind of pops in my mind. Pops stuff pops in my mind all the time. But the amazing thing is, dude, it's still like the, it's the simple, simple mm. things. It's not, mm. it's not a eureka moment. Like, you know, inventing anything. It's like, Oh, if I just did this, like very often it comes back to, I'm such an idiot. How come I didn't think of this before? You know, what's coming to mind is uh, when I was talking to my character coach, Ben Ives, one of the things that main takeaways I've taken away from him is stop searching for, um, 
affirmation and search for information. So stop looking for things that already you already believe in that already are going to push your dogma down the road mm-hmm. a little bit further and look for information, right? To contrast against what you already been doing, what you've already been thinking. And that's going to make you a better person, a better individual and a better leader because you'll be able to say, you know what? I used to think that was true too, but now that's not true. And because of this reason. So whether we're talking about your 17 notebooks or you having uh, that eureka moment with your son, it's all about kind of searching for new information rather than affirmation that no this 54 drill is the best that it can't get better and 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 not and getting that kind of confirmation bias that's that's the only way to do something Um, that's that's what you know i tell my staff all the time is i don't you don't want somebody to yes you you know i mean you want somebody to challenge you you know to to a certain extent you're not going to get work done after a while and and provided that they can you know bring the right content it was you know the I had heard that Abraham Lincoln filled his cabinet with people that he hated, that he didn't want, that he knew that he would disagree with them just because he wanted to make sure he had enough of a challenge of all everything he was doing. Right. I saw that a lot in uh, Winston Churchill, The Darkest Hour, too. It's the same methodology that he wants people to challenge him. Uh, you've had so much success in in the recent years, and perhaps this question is a little bit more complex than the, the simplicity that we've been talking about. But you've also had some down years in the in the past, whether it was Yale or otherwise. Uh, what, in your opinion, separated those winning and losing teams, if you were to point to a few factors? Um, yeah, you know, I think that, that – I think at Yale – but. My evolution at Yale, I think, is um, I wish I wish it didn't take me as long as it did. I think there were some other factors, but I think that I um, it it took me a long time to let go of those things that we we spoke about, and you know, and when I get a chance to talk to guys that that were on the, the teams that didn't win like you guys did, um, you know, I, I don't I feel bad because I, I pushed them to a certain level didn't really give them the guidance that um, that I'd like to think that, that I've done for these teams. I would, I would, you know, some would argue those teams, you know, weren't as talented or as deep as these teams now. And I, and I think that's certainly the case. Um, but, you know, I think that they could have gotten a little bit, um, a little bit better guidance, for, certainly from me, um, you know, how to handle, adverse situations, you know, these things that I didn't really learn. Um, yeah, I, it just, it's, it's not ever solved on the chalkboard. It just, just not. And, and that's what I wanted to do. And, um, you can't always hammer harder to, 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 to solve the, the puzzle. So, um, you know, the moments after one the 2018 national championship, two guys that were on my first recruiting class, you know, Greg Duboff and Tyler Castano were in the first row of the of, the, of uh, Gillette there, and I want to see those guys. And you know, those guys were they are forever Yale lacrosse diehard guys. Um, but their senior year, they went four and ten. You know, and it, that was there were some really regrettable moments for me as a leader. Um, you know that that I wish I did a better job. You know, for for them and. I don't, I think about it all the time. It's something I don't think I'll ever live down. Um, but, you know, just see those guys and, and, you know, they were, they're up a number of feet, so I couldn't give them a hug, but the, you know, just to make sure they understood how much I cared about them. And, and, you know, it's, if you look at our practice plan, Mark, from, you know, March 10th, before they canceled the season this year, you will see some of the same drills that you'll see, in you know the fall of 2004 or whatever and i'm sure you can you you know when you played for me you you guys probably joked around about it like oh we're gonna do this drill again or we're gonna do that it's the the cookbook is pretty much the same um but i think that the way we've gone about it is a little bit different um and i think a little bit more i don't know i think i think that just understanding helping guys fight through adversity, like a loss or, you know, maybe a couple losses. You know, I think that those are things that, um, that I've learned that, you know, it'd be great to go back in time and say, 
listen, here's how you do it. And yeah. once again, it's really hard because you lose a game and you're like, yeah, hey, if we just really prepare for Princeton this week, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, it's your first reaction is like, we have to win this game. Right. But the, the, you got to ignore it. And I still have that. I mean, sure. I tell the guys now we lose we lose a game this this year, and my first thought is we're not going to win another game this season, and it gets really difficult <laughs> to say okay, you know we have to win this game we have to prepare for this team and you got to be like no, that's not the case just we just got to get better, just got to get better. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing how how if you can resist that temptation to prepare for your opponent. It's to this day. So as much success as I've had with it, I still, I still fight it every single right. time. It's amazing. Right. right. Well, I mean, I think it's common even outside of coaching, you know, doubt is something that we wake up with every single day. And how do you fight that doubt is by preparation. One of the things that's coming to mind here is like, how do you not flip the script and go, okay, what worked this week is just not going to work next week and we need to change everything. How do you resist that urge or, or what do you know to keep or how, how many new drills do you throw in per week or do you, does that make any sense? Yeah, no, I, I, um, well, we, so we, you know, the way we plan practices and that I map it out over the course of the year. Um, and we look at what we need, what are our deficiencies? What are we, you know, how do we, where are we weak? How do we shore up our, our weaknesses? And it could be transition defense. It could be whatever. And, and, and you can attest to this, and not a lot of people believe this when I tell them, but we don't spend a ton of time on six and six. And we don't, we don't you know, have more than a couple clears and one or two rides. And our offenses are pretty simple and defenses are relatively simple. So the install is not something that's going to take time. And that's something that helps us, um, you know, over the course of that week. So if we're just shoring up fundamentals of how you play within, you know, this, this system, um, then that makes it a little bit easier. If we don't have to put in another clear, mm -hmm. you know, um, I think that helps a great deal. Um, but for us, we'll look at, okay, you know, we were great here. Um, you know, your junior year is a really good example because we were great in the beginning of the year. And then we had a, you know, we had a dip, a dip. We, we lost two games in the middle of the year and we had, um, we'd kind of lost our way a little bit and it was, it was more just missed details. I think over the course of the, that were everything had kind of lost its shine a little bit. It wasn't like one glaring problem. So, um, but you know, your senior year, we look back at, okay, when were we at our peak and we looked at the drills that we did leading up to that because I had them kind of mapped out and said, okay, these are the things that we want to do to get us kind of in the right position to play at a, at a high level. And then your senior year, we start out 10 and 0. I think we, we were, you know, number one in the country for a little while. So I think looking, you know, very often we look back and said, okay, when we played team X in this week, we were awesome at, this this we played really well this like why what do we do for that and we can look back i mean i've got every practice plan for the last 18 years in an excel document that i can pull up any day and tell you the depth chart of that day i can tell you the the, <laughs> the time of the drill um you know and, that, and that's one of the reasons why when i say a drill is going to be four minutes it's got to be four minutes <laughs> you know what i mean yeah um because I want to be able to say, okay, it, either it worked or it didn't. If I get lost in, if I get lost, if I get variable in the week, then once the game comes and we play a certain way, be it poorly or we play well, I can't look back and say, I can't rely on what we did in practice is the amount of time we put into certain things because I got crazy and decided, you know what, let's just play a little six on six. So if I have to, if we tweak it. Yeah, makes sense. Same, they say, hey, man, you guys are just going to scrimmage. You guys have been great. Let's just scrimmage. You guys have fun with it. I have to go right. back and revise the document. Yeah, that, that's a that really – No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. I still remember the times where uh, I'm with Coach Baxter uh, on a defensive drill, and you're like, change it now. And and, yeah. and Bax just wants to go through one or two more reps, and you're not now, right? And I think that 
you're you're shedding light onto it now as to as to why it was so important to change the drill because yeah. at one or two uh, more reps is not going to change everything. You got to um, talk to Bax, not his head coach, because he knows that he's a he's a time stealer. <laughs> and it's like he does. He he said to me, he's like, I never realized. I'm like, yeah, dude, you got to you got to make sure that that it's down to the minute, and mm-hmm. anything you steal, you got to pay back. You got to figure it out. And so when Stim, you know, Stim will say, I can get it in in this many minutes, and I'll say he'll say I can get it in five minutes. I'm gonna say you need to get it in in two. And he'll spend the whole day trying to figure out how he's going to install it in two minutes. So that's so good. And, yeah. and there's a lot of things that need to happen beforehand, right? You have to have their attention and they have to be on the spot and, no and be able to go from one thing to the next. What the one thing that's coming up that younger coaches can listen to our conversation and is the the less chalk talk, more trust building and getting fundamentally sound rather than focusing so much on the scouting report and all that. Uh, what advice would you give to an inspiring student athlete or younger lacrosse player that's often overlooked, right, before they get into um, a high-intensity college atmosphere? Uh, you know, I think that for us, I, I think that we get a lot of mileage out of guys who love to play. Mm. You know, and, and, and I think that you need to love the game to play, not even in Division One in college, because, you know, college coaches are paid, you know, nowadays they're paid full time to make sure their teams are, you know, the best in their conference or one of the best in the country. Um, and I think that they will, you know, place those expectations on those on the kids. So, um I think we're very careful not to recruit guys or we, we, we try as best we can not to recruit guys who don't absolutely love playing. You know what I mean? And, 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 you know, the way we do things, Mark, if, if you don't love, like you can not love the weight room, but you better like it or you're going to get hurt and then you're not going to be able to love playing. So you got to be able to go through that, you know, that process as well. Um, So, I mean, I think that there's, there's, there's plenty of kids out there, you know, and maybe it's the culture of our sport that don't understand how much they don't really love the game. Mm. You know, I mean, if you're completely obsessed with it and you love playing it more than anything else, um, then it should all work out for you. I think that that's something that you'll, you know, it'll come back to you. But, you know, when I played, uh, I, I just love playing. I love playing more than anything. I would play, you know, drive nine hours for a, for a club game. You know what I mean? After college and, you know, play three summer games, you know, a night, if just bring a Jersey and hop on and play, for, you know what I mean? I was like one of those guys. Right. Um, but I just, I just loved it. And I think that that's the type of guy that, that, you know, we need to get a guy who just can't put a sick down. Right. Um, because it's it just, it's going to be, it'll, if it feels like work at any point in time, you're not going to get the most out of it. And I think it might be a silly analogy, but I'd love to use it in the fact that I always like to talk about whenever I'm talking about love for your craft, I use a plant analogy because if this plant was growing and you're looking to water it and give it sun and all these different things, but it doesn't love the game, then uh, you have to say we're going no matter what and you end up pulling it out of the ground and it get washes, it washes away because it just doesn't have the stem to, to right. with that that's just the love of the game to show up to to want to want more and to give more to be okay with being pushed right and in the different ways that you see fit uh to nurture that right so uh i think that's so important um not only having a competitive fire to to be challenged and want to be challenged and want to be in in competition but you just have to love the if it's lacrosse the stick you have to love uh, the ball if it's a different sport and all right that. there's no doubt about it there's no doubt about it so how similar or different are, are you as a coach versus a parent, right? Uh, do you use a lot of, of your coaching style in parenting? Uh, my wife tells me to stop being a coach and yelling <laughs> at the guy, yelling at my, my sons. I yell at my sons. I don't yell at my daughter. My daughter could get away with anything uh, if, if she wanted. So um, she's uh, – that's that, fu- that that's a, that's a fuzzy five on four drill. That's what that <laughs> yeah, is. Exactly. That's, what, that's <laughs> definitely a fuzzy one. Um, I'm probably a little too uh, similar, but I would, you know, I talk to my kids about the compound effect. You know, that's that's how my all of my kids learn to ride a bike with the compound effect. You know? <laughs> and and I and I told them like this is gonna, you know, doesn't feel like you're getting any better, mm-hmm. but in like 
you know, five or six days, you're going to be riding the bike and there's tears and skin knees and all that stuff. And to this day, like I'll say to my older sons who are, you know, 13 and 12 right now, um, anything that they're working on, it's, you know, just do a little, do a little, a lot, not a lot, a little, because a hundred percent, you know, it, that's what, that's, what's going to get you to the point where there's enough mastery where, where there's enjoyment, yeah. um, you know, so, uh, it's probably, it falls upon deaf ears. I think with, with sometimes my boys realize that I'm a little, little too, uh, little too coached and not, not enough father, but, um, I, I also look at it like, you know, the way my father was, he was, you know, he was a coach and he was, he was really hard on me. So, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's where it comes from. Right. I, I think, uh, all my longtime clients, my family, my friends, I'll just blurt out what's the most powerful thing in the world when I see them getting frustrated uh, and they say momentum back to me. And that's the compound effect, right? Because you can be so mad in the moment, uh, but then maybe you need to focus on Andy Shea's sticking to the process, right? Because if you allow the compound effect to come into play, if you allow a belief in the momentum um, to, to do a little a lot rather than a lot a little, you're going to be in a good place. So uh, outside of your immediate family and your close friends, what what resources like the compound effect do you turn to for insight, information, or inspiration? Uh, I read a fair amount. Um, my attention span is not great, so I read bits of books, put them down, and pick them up again. So, um, there's a uh, there's a there's a book. You know, once again, harkening back to your junior year. Um, that spring break, um, team room incident where the only time I walked out of practice in my entire career, um, oh my gosh, remember that? Oh yeah. The, uh, but I think this, there's a book called ego is the enemy, which I think is just phenomenal, you know? And I think that we, um, I don't know when that book was written, but I feel like that was something that, uh, in that moment, that was what. I think it's Ryan Halliday is the one who wrote it. I think I have it here somewhere, but um, I think that's the biggest part of, for us, our, you know, our progress as a team is that, you know, we spend this time all year, especially, you know, when it's in a spring sport, you go from fall to the spring trying to get better. Um, and then you get better and you get success. You know what I mean? You beat a good team. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for, let's say Yale, for instance, this year is, you know, we, we, we beat Penn state, but, but didn't play, didn't clear the ball well, didn't, didn't, uh, you know, played pretty sloppy had a bunch of turnovers and, and didn't really kind of self-analyze like what, what we were doing well, or, you know, we just saw that we won and, and it was a big, I think it was one versus two or whatever we, whatever one versus three or whatever, it, whatever it was, it was a national TV game. Um, you know, and then we go out against UMass, who's a very good team. And we didn't really look back and say, okay, we, we can't clear the ball that well. Why can't we clear the ball that well? And, and, mm -hmm. and we did, we tried, as you know, we probably tried, but without a, without a loss, without being fueled by a loss. And I, this is one of the things I really still struggle with. We can't, I don't do a good enough job of correcting that stuff. Um, and, you know, our egos were, our egos were writing checks that our play couldn't cash. Let's put it that way. So right. we go out against UMass and just get blasted 11 to three at halftime. And, and you know, the final was 13, 11, um, but certainly didn't afford them enough respect uh, to even play with them for, for right. most of the game, yeah. turn the ball over almost every time and, and just thought that we were great. And, and the, the thing that's great about division one lacrosse, at least in, in 2020 or right now, the, the, these, these days, so to speak, is that everybody's good. And that's what sucks too. Like everybody's really good. Yeah. Um, and it's really difficult. You can't just roll the ball out against any team uh, in division one and say, we're just going to, we're going to beat these guys. And um, UMass certainly top 15, top 10 team. So, you know, I'm not even talking about them necessarily, but in that moment, those, they just absolutely blasted us back to earth. And, um, you know, you just want to, you want to be able to say that, that ego won't get in the way, but even armed with that, 
And even though I'm constantly telling guys that, it just always creeps back in and you end up just doing things a little bit less perfect than you than you did before. You know, your junior year, we started out 5-0. and We beat Maryland. Bryant was a quarterfinal team the year before. Um, Fairfield was, was an NCAA team two years before. Let's see who else is on there. Who else did we beat? Uh, another, another, there was five games that we thought that they were 50, 50 or worse. And we mm-hmm. started out five and zero because we spent the whole year worried about going zero and five. And then we played Cornell and got, well, we're just going to beat him because we're awesome. And we weren't awesome. We didn't know any better. We just got, you know, we got beat. So, um, those are the things that like that, that whole how that always unfolds, you know, you, you see it coming a mile away and you, you, I try and stop it, but nothing that comes out of my mouth is, as is as impactful as a loss. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was just about to ask. I mean, it's the, certainly uh, a fact that it's the best team never wins is the team that plays better. I mean, you have no right. idea what's going to happen on any given day. I remember watching the U S game, the goalie played well, there's a bunch of different factors that go into a game, but, uh, a question for you is what that came to mind while you were speaking is, do you think you guys win in 2018? If you guys uh, don't have that loss in the Ivy finals. I, I was texting with a couple of those seniors very recently. And to a man, they say that if we don't lose to Cornell in the Ivy finals, we don't win the national championship. No chance. I, I don't think just, any. it's amazing to think. And it's, it's, I tell you that, that, that was the worst selection show I've ever been. A, I shouldn't say that. It wasn't the worst selection show, but it was the worst <laughs> selection show at Yale that I've ever been a part of. The worst one ever was a, a 2001 UMass team got snubbed. So that was that was that was the worst experience I've had in watching a selection show. But in 2018, we had drove back to New York, and it was everybody was embarrassed. Everybody was angry at each other. Um, it was, we were rock bottom as a unit, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And we watched the show and we did it at box 63 or something like that. in typical fashion that, you know, they didn't know we were coming. They did, there was like, we're supposed to have it catered and all this stupid stuff and there's nothing there. You know what I mean? It was just, just Good. another Good. flaw, another deep missed detail somewhere. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, I was just, angry and everyone's angry and they they announced where we were and we were like okay and guys let you know how that is normally you get your your team that you're playing and then you high five and you're all psyched and you're like let's go everybody's happy we got that you know we're playing umass which i wasn't happy about because you know greg canella is a mentor of mine and and you know it did it didn't feel like we knew it was going to be difficult for for multiple reasons i wasn't psyched to, to to play them but everyone just left saying, we, you know, we better get to work or we're just going to get crushed. Um, and of all the years we've been in the playoffs, it was, it, it was the best. It's so uncomfortable. It's so difficult. You know what I mean? But it was the best uh, launching pad for that team. Everybody, yeah. there wasn't one guy left with a smile on their face. It was awesome. Yeah. And awful. In the moment, it's awful. But looking yeah. back on it, it was just it was awesome. And it's so interesting. Uh, you talking about uh, ego is the enemy, and then talking about the missed details that were going on uh, after that loss, like the like nothing be set up at box sixty three. I mean, uh, and then you fast forward and you you get the details right, and you get back to who Yellow Cross is all about, and then you reach for and you attain the pinnacle. You win, you win the national championship. Uh, and, Coach, you've won a, several Ivy League championships to this day. What, what keeps you going? Uh, you, to stay at Yale, to coach with the same and even greater passion, what keeps you going? Uh, I don't know. You know, I think it's um, – you know, last, last year was very tricky, and, and – be perfectly honest it was it was a um i don't know if i did navigate it as well as i could have but it was definitely as there was self-reflection um early in the year because we spent all the fall getting your you know pats on the back and all this stuff and everybody you know all the preseason hype and 
I wasn't ready. I didn't think I was fully, my batteries were fully charged on Feb 1 of 2019. Um, and I think it went the same for the guys. It wasn't, there was no, uh, there was, there was less hunger. Um, and not, you know, not, not devoid of it by any means, but, um, it honestly worried me like in the moment, like, okay, I'm not running full speed headlong into February 1st. Like I normally am. And I couldn't, I, I could put my finger on, I could, I could theorize that, you know, once you win the national championship, you basically, you win it every day until the start of the new season. Because everybody's mm-hmm. looking for content and everybody's everybody wants to talk about it. And 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 it's like, hey, you won it. Hey, gr- great job again. And you know, you as a human, you're like, you know, you shake someone's hand to meet them, and it's like you almost expect them to say congratulations right away. Right. Um, <laughs> you're like, Yeah, hey, thank you. And like for what? Oh, I you didn't say congratulations? I, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? So it, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's, I don't know what, it, whatever that is. It's eight months of that. And it's at Yale, we hadn't won it ever. So it's like, it's a little bit of a sexier story. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of that. And then we get, you know, TD transfers in and then there's all this hype, like, oh, this, you know, this team and blah, blah, blah. And so that, that softens your edge, man. Talk about ego as the enemy. You, you, you have a constant assault on your ego. Um, so. I don't know if I was full, you know, fully charged and there was, there was a little bit of, a little bit less of a, it was just a little different um, going into that 2020 se- or 2019 season. Um, and then coaching that team, those got those kids, those poor kids felt we lose to Villanova the first game. Every time we won a game, didn't, didn't matter who we beat. It felt like a relief. Yeah. Deep breath. It was amazing. It was really amazing. It was very difficult. And I'd said that I don't really feel pressure, but after coaching the team and having them see how they reacted, I could feel the pressure that they felt. Mm -hmm. So I spent the year trying to pull it off of them. Yeah. It was an amazing, amazing learning experience. I mean, there was one point in time where we had, we won an Ivy game and I forgot we were singing. Like I didn't get the guy, the guys were like, are you coming? And I'm like, it had totally, I don't know what game it was, but it was, it was, it was not an, it was like, it was, I don't think Cornell maybe. No, we, we lost one of It was Cornell. And I, I had totally forgotten. Yeah. And that's a big, you know, that's a, that's a moment. You know what I mean? That, I mean, coach, I, I'm my freshman year in 2013. I was in tears when we won at Cornell against Princeton. And then my senior year, I, I, it, I don't want to say I, I was emotionless, but um, there wasn't as much vigor in my voice. That's for sure. When we were I, I, I don't know what it was. I, it was it taking it for granted or it was, see, I, I, I didn't win a national championship like you did, but it, it's that, all all learning is about is going from a state of consciously competence where you have to think and then act to unconscious competence where you don't have to think and you can act. But that had been your first national championship. So you're just like, okay, I have to think about how I act. You're back to right. stage three, right? And that by through my four years, I had reached unconscious competence in winning a, a an Ivy ch- title, right? Three out of four. It's almost right. like um, that expected. And then you're – I the only new land for me, right. I I felt like I was lost. It, it, we we were lost in the national tournament because we hadn't been there before. And then that's the most, that's the most important thing about winning is knowing how to do it. Looking back and saying, Oh, what are the strategies uh, to get going? And I guess the question that circles back to this 2019 season is like uh, a team of lambs led by a lion will always defeat a lion, a team of lions led by a lamb. Right. So what did you do to get that hunger back? to get them driving back in the right direction. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to paint a picture that I was, you know, slumped and, 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 you know, depressed going out to practice. I was, it, it, it was a, it was a marginal. I felt, I just felt I felt a little bit. I didn't, uh, I guess I just didn't, I didn't, 
it was just something in the back of my mind. You know what I mean? Sure. What, I don't think it. I don't think it was palpable by anybody else. I just kind of, you know, I I tried to behave the same way. Um, but it, 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 you know, those. I think a big part of what helped us last year uh, was losing a pen twice. Mm. You know what I mean? And that was that was a big, that was a big factor. The first time, um, you know, it was down there. It was it was, it was a it was overtime and, you know, second time was in the Ivy tournament. And then we had to, you know, we had to basically hand them the both trophies, you know, the course of the year, which is something that didn't sit, sit very well with me or any of those other guys. So playing them in the quarterfinals um, to get to the final four, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to rev guys up for that one at all. No. Um, you know, and I think it's important to note, and I, my wife observes this, um, is that going into this season, I couldn't have, you know, I thought, I, I hoped September 1st was February 1st. Like mm. I really, it had all, it had come back tenfold for the 20 season. You know what I mean? Because I was just, um, the nine, 19 was behind us. Granted, I would love to have won that, that last game in 19. Um, but it was a lot on those guys. And it was yeah. a lot, um, as someone that, that would like to protect them and help them. I, I didn't know if I did the best job of, of doing that. Everything rushed back in 20. It was like, was soon as soon as September, as soon as honestly, as August came around, I was like, I would love to start the season right now and mm-hmm. just, just, you know, get after it. And of course you can't do that. Um, and you got to, you, you know, part of the process is getting better over the course of the fall. Um, but it was for whatever my batteries were charged for 19. It was, it was way more for 20 and I would love to have a handle on that and understand why and be able to control that. Right. I, I don't, I don't have any experience with it. Right. You know, it's almost so. like you want to mimic the losses of, of the, the Cornell Ivy championship just so that you can win again. It's, it's so hard to mimic the losses because everybody's well aware that the, the practice is totally different than, than a totally. real life game. Right. So you can't just mimic a loss in, in, in a practice. Cause everybody's like, okay, we lost in practice, but it's not the, not a game. Right. So it's very hard to get to that. And I, where I would like to wrap up this conversation is we're hovering over it, I believe, right? You've been coaching and, and leading student athletes for such a long time, as well as looking for ways to develop yourself as as a, as a coach, as a parent, as a person. Uh, what would your definition of greatness be? How would you define greatness? Jeez. Oh, greatness? Um, I don't know. So that's, pretty, <laughs> that's pretty broad. I think that, you know, I think that um, I think it's important to understand that I that I do what I love, you know, more than I, I'm doing what I think I was meant to do because I strived to do this. You know, I I I've spent a lot of my my adult life not making enough money to to get by, um, and I did it because all I wanted to do was coach lacrosse. You know, working odd jobs, making no money back at the University of Delaware or junior college and University of Massachusetts. And, and you know, now making a, a living coaching this game. Um, and it's it's incredible. You know, I think that for me, I've always I'm doing what I wanted to do and I never worried about the money. You know what I mean? Um and I think that has allowed me to be successful. Is that the definition definition of greatness? No, but I, I think that I feel like I can approach being um, successful or you know being very good at this because I absolutely love doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I say it like that because I it, tell, talking to my son the other day who's got some interest in lacrosse. He really likes wrestling. Um, he loves paleontology more than anything hmm. loves it. And, you know, I, I say to him, Logan, you want to be great at what you do, do what you love. And so don't, don't think, don't think for a second, like lacrosse is not the family business. Like I can only imagine how hard it is for him to go out to his youth game. You know what I mean? And, and 
his father's the Yale lacrosse coach, you know, on the heels of a, of a, you know, let's say we have a big win and his buddies are talking about the game and he cares a little bit, but he doesn't, he doesn't live it, breathe it and love it. Sure. Um, you know, you know, it, meanwhile, if there's something to do with dinosaurs or whatever, he just absolutely loves it. Yeah. He, that's what he wants to do. Yeah. Um, and that may change. I, I wanted to be a scientist when I was a, a young kid too. Um, but the point is once you figure out what you want to do, grab it, run with it as fast as you can and, and enjoy it and, and don't worry about the money. You know what I mean? I think that that's a big part of it. Is it that, you know, unless you get yourself in a position where you have to support a few people, um, you know, in your twenties then take your time to do what you want to do. And I've shared this with you, as you know. So, um, I think that's, I think that's, that doesn't answer your question, I'm sure, but, but that's it, it, it absolutely answers my question, coach. I mean, oh. you're, you're right on top of it. I think, uh, you bring it up, Logan, uh, lacrosse is the, the, the world of lacrosse and what you you've done with the yellow cross program is, is like swallowing the sun when it comes to a, a younger kid that wants to play lacrosse at a very high level. And I think it all circles back to the through line that we've been talking about. If you, if you love the stick, if you, if you love the game um, and then you have just love your craft, then you're giving yourself the best possible chance at greatness. So, I mean, you absolutely answered the question, the fact that uh, maybe it's the simple striving for dealing with the, the lack of money and the lack of resources and the lack of support even along the way um, and, and, and just still finding your way just because and uh, because of love. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the, you know, your people are going to make sacrifices to do certain things, you know, and, and that's, you know, I think all my uh, all my college friend or high school friends, you know, we we were very close, and they all have different jobs, different um, different walks of life. At this point, we spent our twenties, or you know, they did enjoying themselves and having real jobs and being able to do things, and they'd go to Vegas and Ireland, like you know, guys would. I couldn't because I couldn't afford it, and you know. Now they're kind of looking, they all now travel the yellow cross games and watch yellow cross games and they're huge fans. And they're just like, I wish, wish I had a job like yours. I'm like, you do when we win, but you, know, you probably don't want it when we lose. So yeah. Well, making sacrifices at the right time, probably. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you coming on coach and I appreciate you taking the sacrifice and investing in the love of the game and then the love for your players like me. And uh, it doesn't go unnoticed. Uh, a lot of uh, the guys in my class, I'm speaking on behalf of them and, and all the guys in the yellow cross. Uh, we look up to you as a father figure. You were a huge influence in our life and uh, we're so proud to be a part of the yellow cross program. Thanks brother. You're a proud representative, man. I appreciate you. So thank you.